the blast from our past network. thought as you do you don't know the power of the dark side I must obey my master I will not turn and you'll be forced to kill me if that is your destiny suit your feelings father you can't do this I feel the conflict within you let go of your hate it is too late for me son the emperor will show you the true nature of the force he is your master now talking back Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. Today, we are continuing our Star Wars franchise walkthrough. We have landed on Return of the Jedi. Dean, welcome. Hey, Tim. Hey, we're here to discuss another great Star Wars movie. Another classic. Dean, on this day of celebration, please help me in welcoming our very special guest. You know him from the Blast from Our Past podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, and Comics Underground. Please welcome back to the show, John Spees. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, John. (laughs) Hey, John. Hi, guys. Thanks uh, for having me on. Um, and thank you both, since you mentioned Comics Underground, thank you both for being the first two guests, other than my son, but he lives with me, so that doesn't count, uh, my first two guests on Comics Underground, and I, I think two episodes that came out very good, and two uh, properties that I had no idea about and was very uh, excited to read. You're very welcome. Yeah, our pleasure. We had, we had a blast uh, doing that. That was really fun. Yeah, you say comics, guess who likes comics? These, these guys. Guess who puts our hand up? These yeah, guys. we're in. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd like to thank you because um, when we, you know, we've been doing this walkthrough for, you know, half a year now and had been, you know, thinking about it and prepping for it a couple months before that. So we threw an invite out to people in the network. Anybody who wanted to join up for a movie could. And when we threw that message out, you responded so fast uh, maybe in a couple minutes, you had already agreed to come on the show. Uh, you chose your um, your movie, so we appreciate that. It it made us feel like people might be interested in a, in a franchise walkthrough of Star Wars. So it kind of like got got our juices going as well. So we appreciate that. Uh, it's been a long time since you agreed to do this. It's finally here. I'm excited to talk about Return of the Jedi. Well, to be fair, uh, one I love to talk talk Star Wars, so you you don't you don't even need the invitation. Um, I might just crash the next Skype call, whether you <laughs> like it or not. Um, however, I will say, as soon as I saw that, 
I knew I was going to have to fight with Corey Stevenson for Return of the Jedi. So that's why I jumped on it so fast. Because I, Corey, I love you, but I was going to get this damn episode before you. Yeah, and, and Corey threw everyone a curveball because he wanted to do Attack of the Clones. I'm not that surprised knowing Corey <laughs> as that being his backup, but yeah. he and I differ on our opinions of the uh, validity of the prequels. Yeah, well, we we felt bad that Corey couldn't get Return of the Jedi, so he's going to be on for another, another episode. He'll, he'll, he'll be yeah. back. He's going to be back. Yeah, we're going to double dip on Corey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John, <laughs> for everyone listening, though, uh, and for Dean and myself, please fill us in uh, on your history and your relationship with Star Wars. Okay, so I um, remember seeing Star Wars... I can't even remember at what age. Now, this came out in 83. I was two years old when this came out. I was born in 80, but at the end of 80. Um, But my dad, who grew up in Iowa of all places, um, you know, was a, a farmer's kid and, you know, did farm work and carpentry as a job, I was kind of secretly a sci fi fan. And loved to watch sci-fi movies. I remember him telling me about how um, he and my mom went out on a date once to go see Aliens in the theater. <laughs> or maybe even the first Alien. I can't remember. Um, but like he was the one who introduced me to a lot of sci-fi stuff, including Star Trek. That's the whole reason I got into Star Trek was uh, through my dad. And I'm sure, I'm positive, this is one of the... Um, tapes that we had at home probably because he had us watch it on TV or you know rented the tape or whatever it was um it's been a long time so I, I can't pinpoint that down but if I had to take a an educated guess I would say it was probably because uh my dad introduced me to it because I know he I know he actually did like Star Wars for facts so okay cool um then like what about Prequel trilogy. What about sequel trilogy? Where do you stand with those? So I will say this: I was a senior in high school when when Episode One came out, and I definitely remember the hype so much about the hype because I mean we never thought that we were going to get anything Star Wars related ever again, right? Um, and now I think now we're we're at um, just a wondrous time of content coming out and whether or not you like the sequels or you like the Mandalorian or any of the other stuff that's going out, you know, there's content now. And that's something we never thought was ever going to happen again. George Lucas said, Nope, I'm done with star Wars. And then thankfully he brought it back. Now, um, I won't say too much about the prequels because you'll hear my opinions when we get to the ranking part. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> it will become very clear uh, what my feelings are uh, about them. I did go see all of them in the theater um, because it was Star Wars, and whether I had heard good things or bad things, I wanted to support more Star Wars coming out. So I went and saw them in the theater. Um, and uh, same as the uh, the sequels, um, I I'm one of those weird people, and I guess we're not ranking the sequels, so I'll go ahead and say this. Um, hopefully, if I'm talking too long, let me know. 
Um, but with the sequels, I hated episode seven. Absolutely hated it. I just it felt like a horrible rehash, cheap rehash of a New Hope, um, with just slightly different characters. Now the funny thing is, is I enjoyed the characters. I liked, I really liked Ray. Um, I liked Poe. Um, I liked Finn. I liked all that. You know, I liked having the new characters. Um, and I actually even kind of liked. Um, Oh God! What's his name? Kylo. I'm horrible with names. Kylo. Thank you. Kylo. Kylo Ren. Okay. Great. Yeah. Um. At, but out of all three of them, I actually enjoyed eight the most, which is, is has been for a lot of people the one they hated the most. Um. I didn't like what he did with um, Luke, in that one. But I did like the movie out of the three. If I'll, if I was going to rank the three, eight would be the top, nine would be number two, and seven would be the last. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah I like eight. I like eight a lot. It's my favorite out of those as well. Um, at least I when think... we were ranking them going into it, it was. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that adjusts because I right. have adjusted some things along the way as we've watched through them. But going into it, it was definitely my uh, my favorite one of those. I also think it's the most visually interesting one of yeah. the three. There's a lot of sure. really cool visual effects and just things that especially on the big screen were just really really cool and i at least respected that part of the of the film yeah yeah i i agree with that yeah good direction in that one now we know that return of the jedi is your favorite star wars movie and mm-hmm. uh, i'm very excited to hear why that is as we're walking through this movie so sure Return of the Jedi was released in 1983 with a budget between 32 and 42 million dollars. Whenever we hear floating numbers like that, we uh, we're pretty safe to say that the floating number is the marketing budget. They don't really know what was uh, used in marketing, but it's uh, s- somewhere in there. So they're somewhere around 10 million for marketing, probably. Jedi grosses 475 million dollars. Nice. Yeah, sure. That's great. That's more than I've grossed ever. Yeah, same. <laughs> same. <laughs> One day. <laughs> That'd be, be so nice. Um, I'm getting there. The three-movie trend here, though, is that the budget goes up continually and the profits go down, which isn't really a problem because when you're already grossing like 100 times your investment, not really a big deal if you didn't quite make as much as the last movie. But I do find it a little bit odd that profits would go down because I would think they would at least stay the same or possibly go higher. Like this is uh, we've had this happen before, Dean. Who's dropping off? <laughs> like after you watch Star Wars, yeah. who's dropping off and not watching Empire, and then who's not watching Return of the Jedi? Yeah, I know. I wonder if it's like revisits, if that's it. But then still, it's like. I don't know. Why is it why is it dropping off? Why wouldn't you just want to go back and see it again? Like I I yeah, I don't understand, especially with this trilogy, why we have drop-offs in numbers. I under you know, you understand sometimes if it's a real stinker, if that sequel yeah. is just really bad and everyone's telling their friends don't go to it. But like that there's no way that was really happening with this trilogy. That makes me mad. I Are you I angry, will, Tim? <laughs> I will put out this. I don't I have no basis for uh this being true or not. I'm just speculating here. 
Um, similar to kind of where we're at right now, or at least here in the U.S., um, in in the U.S. in the 70s, in the late 70s, we were in a bit of an economic downturn. Um, we had huge gas, pli- gas price problems, huge inflation, and I feel like the movies was like the one thing that was still pretty cheap to do, and it maybe a lot more people were going to the movies in the late 70s. When we got to the 80s, that's when Wall Street really hit its its mark and people were making money hand over foot um, and probably not as many people going, you're, you're probably right, Dean, probably not as pe- many people going back to see the movies once they've seen it once because they've got other things that they can do. People were making a lot of money, uh, probably most of it nefariously, but, you know, that's for another story. <laughs> wow, John dropping the economy knowledge. I like it. I know. That that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, yeah. I have so many other questions. We've been struggling. For We've been struggling for so many uh, movies trying to figure <laughs> out why this ever happened. And John just pops on. Here's what. Look at history, people. The economy. Never thought of that. <laughs> Never thought of the economy when related to money. I always blamed people. <laughs> of course. You did. Well, Tim, you, you go straight to blaming I people. Guess I always blame people first. <laughs> yeah. Well, Return of the Jedi was directed by a Richard Marquand. Not a very prolific director. And George Lucas actually wanted Steven Spielberg to direct this film. But because Lucas was having problems with the Directors Guild, uh, they banned Spielberg from directing Return of the Jedi. Which, what? yeah, it's hmm. kind of weird. Like, I know the issue with the Directors Guild was that um, you had to put credits at the beginning of your movie. And at mm-hmm. for Star Wars, George Lucas requested that he be allowed to put the crawl first and not do credits, just have credits at the end of the movie. They said, right. okay, go ahead. Then he wanted to do it again for Empire, and they put their foot down, and they said, no, you're not allowed to do it. We let you do it once, not twice. And he said, screw you, and did it anyways. Mm-hmm. And then they fined him and uh, Irving, uh, Irving Kirshner like $250,000. And then that's when Lucas dropped out of the Director's Guild. So I think because of that, I think the guild was like, oh, you want Spielberg? Oh, no, we're not going to let you have him because we're mad at you for what you did already. So like, we could have had Steven Spielberg directing a Star Wars movie. We lost out on that because of the fucking yeah, awesome. director's guild. Yeah. I'm getting People heated. Petty. I, don't like, I don't like guilds. I don't like director's guilds. <laughs> I don't like the comic, the comic book authority. These, yeah, these, so, I mean, this is reminding me of the comics code, yeah, Tim. These governing yeah. bodies, they just, oh, they screw stuff up. Yeah. Well, I'll settle down a little bit here. <laughs> <laughs> I always get heat. I mean, so red, Tim. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, to be fair, to be fair to George Lucas, he was probably making so much money off of that first one, he could afford to say "screw you" to to the Directors yeah. Guild. Plus, at at that point, I think he also had developed Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, he maybe for sure. Yep. He created uh, ILM for Star Wars to support the special effects in Star oh, Wars. Right. Yeah. He was utilizing like, or he was supposed to utilize 20th Century Fox's special effects department, but it actually shut down just before Star Wars. So he had to come up with his own thing. So he created ILM, and then what's interesting is he created his other company THX for mm-hmm. well, not for, but as a result of Return of the Jedi, because he went like they had a screening of return of the Jedi in a theater and he went to watch it. And he said a lot of the sound effects and music couldn't be heard because the theaters speakers and their technology was outdated. So he created mm-hmm. THX 
to kind of create an industry standard in theaters so that you could you knew what was going to come out of the theater. You knew that if you created your audio in a certain way, the theaters would be able to play it. So I like how he created these two companies that he's well known for all because mm-hmm. of star Wars. Necessity is the mother of an invention. Yeah. Great point. Now the screenplay, uh, once, a, once again, done by George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan, who worked together on empire. Now, if you've listened to all of our Star Wars episodes up to this point, and you don't know who did music for this movie, then what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> you have been paying zero attention. Uh, but John, you're a big music guy. You teach you teach music, right? Uh, I did. You did. I did before I went uh, uh, back to school um, at the about mm, halfway through 2020. Okay. Um, so currently I'm not, but for a long time I was a music educator, yes. So- I want to give you a chance to just give any comments or insight into John Williams, into this soundtrack that he's created for this franchise. Oh, put me on the spot there. Um, okay, the thing um, with with John Williams, um, someone someone put it this way, and I, and I, I really like this, because um, there's a lot of people who will go back and forth as to who is the best film composer. Um, so, I mean, there's there there have been guys since the early days of film that are fantastic, and you know everyone who's come after them has built on their back. So everyone knows the people before them, and as it is in any industry. Um, but to date, it's the two that always get mentioned are John Williams and um, Hans Zimmer. I almost said Hans Gruber, but that's <laughs> that also would have been correct. We would have accepted that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the way someone else put it, and I knew this about John Williams, but when they said this about uh, uh, Hans Zimmer, it, it kind of clicked with me. So uh, John Williams conducts films the way that, or sorry, composes film music the way that the guys from the 17-1800s did compose opera, which is what's called leitmotif, which is a theme. Every character gets a theme, and the theme comes back when certain things happen with that character. And it it helps remind you of what is going to happen or what is happening. You get this aural tick, you know, this little, this little reminder of, okay, every time I hear this, I know this character is on screen or is going to be on screen. Um, very famously, and when I, I used to teach film appreciation as kind of a side side class when I was teaching high school band. And when, whenever we would do uh, film scores, I would talk about Jaws and his use of theme in Jaws. Now, very famously, it's a very simple theme, but it's it's very effective. And the point that, uh, the scene that I always use to point out is when they're, when they've decided to open the beaches and those two kids, and I hope I'm not spoiling Jaws for any of you here. Um, not here. The two kids, um, <laughs> have the little joke that they play with the fin. Yeah. If you go back and watch, if you hadn't noticed, no music is playing. Cool. But the second the real shark comes on to the little pond, that's when he hits you with the theme. Right. So that is that is that is John Williams and Steven Spielberg telling you this is not the shark. Yeah. Awesome. And so if you're if you're really tuned into that, you can you can hear you can see all the hints. Um, so that's what John Williams to me is the best at is creating these memorable themes and these melodies. Man, anybody could 
could sing me a John Williams melody. It may not be always the same one. Uh, it could be Superman. It could be E.T. It could be Harry Potter, any of this stuff. But everyone has that John Williams theme that they can just immediately play. If you asked me to sing or hum a Hans Zimmer theme, I would have to think very hard about it before I did it. What Hans Zimmer really, really does well is mood, is creating a mood with the music that he's using. And he uses a lot more, not just orchestral, but a lot more like electronic sounds um, and mixing and stuff like that. And he will use themes, um, but he sets a mood um, in a really, really big way. And I, I feel like that's, if you had to narrow it down, because obviously clearly both are doing both, but John Williams, I think, does themes best and Hans Zimmer creates moods really good. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I love um, it. Yeah. Th- that, like, that is what I really love about, about these John Williams scores is he's, like, he's directing us emotionally through mm-hmm. this movie. Um, and I, I think if anybody is, you know, wondering why we're talking about the importance of the music so much, I would say just go put on a Star Wars movie and put it on mute and just watch it for like 15 <laughs> minutes and then turn the sound back on and you'll realize like how very impactful music is to these movies in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a really, and I wish I knew what it was called off the top of my head, but there was a really good YouTube video that I used to show to students um, that used Jaws, but it used a different scene. And you saw the scene twice. It was like a maybe eight, nine minute scene. It was with them on the boat. And you saw it once without the music and then once with the music. And you see automatically what the difference is that music like that brings to the mood and to the emotion of the scene and how you are how the directors want you to feel and how the composer wants you to feel. And it's just, it's so important. And I can understand how, why during the times of silent films, uh, they would high, you know, they would, it would come with sheet music and they, every theater had a piano player or organ player and they would play along to what was going on because just pictures moving in dead silence is just awkward and not effective and not emotional. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that, jump scare movies work so well is because of the audio portion of it. Because if you're watching like a slasher film or something scary, again, if that's on mute, that's not a very scary movie. Like you're not going to get scared when the killer jumps out. It's that sound that just attacks you. uh, Mm. And that's what ends up startling you and scaring you. The, the, the visuals are supplementary to the sound in my opinion with those movies. There there's also, I'd heard this, and I, I don't watch a lot of horror movies, so this is not something I've dove, dove into. Um, but I've also heard that one of the ways that they are effective in making you feel uneasy in horror films is not just through music, but just through sound specifically. Um, because we uh, humans hear sound at about 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz is the average range. But what they'll do is they'll put in sounds that are lower than 20 hertz that you can't physically hear but your body can still feel. Hmm. And so they'll do things to kind of make you feel uneasy as certain scenes are going on. Now, I don't I don't claim to know the science behind it. I have been, you know, I did work on a on a certification in uh, in like recording engineering, but it was just that it was a certificate. We didn't deep dive into sound design or anything like that. Uh, but I I have heard that that is one of the tricks 
that uh, horror directors will get to make their audiences feel uneasy when they want them to. That That's interesting because th- this is something that I've always wondered about, and th- this is my hot take on it. Um, what you're saying, I think, might be a little bit different. Like you're saying there's certain sounds that they'll put in that are uneasy sounds for humans to hear. Like just t- no, no, no. sounds. Y- you can't hear them. Okay. It's below our range, but yeah. what sound is, is sound is air vibrating. Yes, exactly. So they're they're still hitting you with these vibrations that cause, that your body can feel, and we don't like those vibrations. We don't like those sounds. It's like anything that's really, really high-pitched that's on there, like, we don't, humans don't like that. If it's, if it's way, if, you know, if it's barely audible, but it's in that really high spectrum, we, we, we can't take that. And it's the same for the really low one. So I think it's it's really just the physical uh, reactions of our bodies to the vibrations of the sounds at those low frequencies. John, you just confirmed a theory that I've had for years and had no way of proving. I always thought that the physical sound waves hitting your body also would startle you because you could feel it on like a level that you don't really understand. Now, I didn't really, I didn't know that it was um, like sound waves we couldn't hear and only feel. I just thought maybe the sound waves you hear like coming out of the TV actually affect your body. But that's very, very interesting. Um, I think that's really cool. I mean, I think, I say the military, but it's our military. Uh, I think they've even developed weapons that are basically just focused sounds that just make you feel queasy and and bad when they get focused on you. So I've heard about that. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing to say that, um, film directors and creators wouldn't weaponize the same thing just to make you feel uneasy for, you know, a particular scene. Yeah, sure. I'll just uh, yeah. I'll say one last thing here before we move on um, and start actually talking about Star Wars. But uh, I, I always consider. I'm sorry. No, no, this is fine. This is I, I, I love this. We haven't really talked about the music of um, Star Wars quite yet, so this is good. Um, but I always thought that you could make an invention of just like some sort of sound device that could create enough white noise that you wouldn't be able to hear anything behind the device. And then you could just go put this device somewhere. It would pump out enough white noise that you could just make as much noise as you wanted behind it. And again, I don't, I'm no sound of, I don't know anything about sound, but I just mm-hmm. thought, why couldn't you create something like that? And, you know, anyway, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's entirely possible. I also, I'm not a sound, you know, designer or, or you know, scientist or anything like that. Yeah. All right. Dean, I think I cut you off a bit there. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I just wanted to weigh in just slightly on the horror movie thing um, that I, for me, the ones that are the scariest are when those like those tension moments are rising and it's actually silent. So I wonder if that is they're still pumping that, you know, th- mm-hmm. those hurts at me. And that's why I'm feeling mm. it's just silence cool. and someone's walking around. It shouldn't be that scary. And I feel way more tense than in a movie where it's just a drama and someone's, you know, just walking around and, and it's silent you know it's just, it's just something about it i've always wondered what is it about that those silent moments that scare me more than anything yeah i mean that's a, that's a that's a possible reason yeah cool all right that was fun uh return of the jedi was nominated for four academy awards best art direction best original score best sound effects editing and best sound and it won none of them Boo. Boo. Dirty, dirty Academy people. <laughs> do you know who, do you happen to know who won best original music that year? Um, everything to do with music. So 
original score, sound effects editing, and best sound all went to the movie The Right Stuff, which I've not seen. Okay, it's I've not I've actually not seen it either, but it's everyone, uh, you know, applauds it as being this really great movie. So right. I'm, I'm heard, sure it was great. I've heard that, yeah. Plus, to be fair, even to John Williams, he is basically using a lot of the same themes over for this one yeah. because we're we're three movies in at this point. So yeah, but yeah. I understand that point. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah. All right. I did see. Sorry, I'm. Go ahead. Let's go ahead. Um. I did see, and I don't know if you talked about this when you talked uh, A New Hope, um, I did see an interview somewhere, I think it was in a magazine, um, where George Lucas talked about the first time that he heard um, the the main credits theme, or the uh, the intro theme, and like everyone was just kind of getting set up, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a quiet, it's a very, you know, these people have done this before, so nobody's, you know, hyped about this because they don't know what they're about to read. And he, you know, George had not heard of this, or not heard this, and he said from note one, he knew this was going to be the best score he had, had ever been associated with. Yeah. That first, just that first hit. It gets you every time. And it I swear, yeah. I, don't know about, I don't know about you guys, it doesn't matter how many times, I never remember exactly when the note is going to come in, yeah, and I'm totally. almost like yeah. surprised by it every time. And I love it; it makes me feel like a kid every time. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, it's just blaring at you, and it's like it. The and then the words "Star Wars" hit the screen. It is still the best way to start a movie. Those mm-hmm. horns and those words, best way to start a movie. Give yeah. us, give us the horns, Dean. You do it well. <laughs> the horns? <laughs> I do the horns well. <laughs> 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 Nailed it. Uh, it slaps you in the face. It really does. Yeah. 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 Uh you turn that into a sound bite. <laughs> don't don't turn don't turn that on if your headphones are up too high. That's a problem. <laughs> Blow those earbuds out. But uh okay, let's get to the opening crawl of Return of the Jedi. Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station, even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed, this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy. Now we start this movie off with Darth Vader's Imperial shuttle launching from a Star Destroyer Towards a new Death Star. That's like everything I want in an opening. (laughs) Um, It's great. For a long time, though, guys, as a kid, I always thought that this under-construction Death Star was the remains of the first Death Star. Did either of you have a problem with that? Or is that just me? I know, Dean, you saw it a little bit old when you were a little bit older. Um, Yeah. But I saw it when I was young. I never kind of, it took me a while to put that together. John, was that ever an issue for you? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. And I, I will tell you what was an issue. And I only I only thought about this this time rewatching it before we started talking. Um, the scene where like right as his shuttle is about to land into the into the bay, it's, it's it has a nice like shot of the of the bay opening from you know from space. Yep. For the long for the longest time, I always wondered why is he coming in so high on that big bay. But what I never noticed is he actually misses the big bay and goes for a smaller bay. And for when I was little, 
I thought there was an that was a uh, inconsistency that the shuttle was actually going to ram into the roof, right? And then it lands nice. I'm like, that's not right. Until sometime when I was much older, uh, when I realized, oh, I'm looking at the wrong hole in the Death Star. Right. <laughs> you're like, this is bullshit. That gets me every time. I know exactly what you're talking about because they present yeah, yeah. this giant bay, the huge it's one, it's a yeah. huge yeah. bay, and then it goes past it to this little tiny bay. Yeah, yeah. it was weird, but. Uh, Listen, guys, work on the new Death Star is progressing slowly, and Vader lets the commander know that he's very good at providing motivation if needed, and also that the Emperor himself is on his way. He isn't happy with the progress either, and is even less understanding than Vader is. Uh, I, I, just, I, love getting, I love getting threats of the Emperor coming. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And especially, especially given with the previous episode where we saw Vader just force choking admiral after admiral, uh, you know that it's it that that threat means something. Oh hell yeah! Yeah, now he's he's got to go warn everyone that uh, Emperor's coming. And I think, I think Vader's helmet's a little shinier. I think he <laughs> sh- he buffed up his helmet because he knows that the Emperor is coming oh. and he's going to be face to face. Interesting. You gotta you gotta get that uh, uniform uh, spick and span. I think so. Yeah, it is. It is nice and shiny. I like it. I like his look. So we head to Jabba's palace now, and this was a very similar scene to Empire's scene on Hoth, where the movie sits with this storyline for about 30 minutes uh, to start the movie off, but it's paced really, really well. You never feel like it goes on for that long. But Mm -hmm. before we dig into this part, I wanted to mention that At this point in Return of the Jedi, a year has passed since Empire, and while I really do like that the movie takes us right to this moment where Han is being rescued, I can't help but wonder what we missed in that year, especially with Lando and Chewie, who immediately at the end of Empire went after Boba Fett to rescue Han, Um, but now they still don't have Han a year later. Like, what kind of cool battles did we miss between those groups? Um, mm-hmm. I, I smell supplementary material here. Someone please create this. But That's that's what uh, the Star Wars Legends books are for. Oh, see, I don't read books. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, I guarantee you there was probably a book written about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I read a lot of the what they call them now they call the legends, yep. which is the books that are no longer yeah. canon, which for a long time was considered canon. Um, but there's all kinds of of stories that happened, um, um, like before. Actually, you can kind of pick your timelines too. You can pick Clone Wars era, you can pick Old Republic era, you can pick during these the main Star Wars trilogy or after, you know, beyond that, the Jedi Academy, all that stuff. So there's. That whatever you want, there's probably a book that's been written for it. Cool. Yeah, I have read a couple Star Wars books. They were both amazing. So I should I should do more. I just I prefer comics. That's fair, but there's a lot there's a lot you can do in in novels that you can't even do in in comics. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Completely different medium. I mean, if you if you asked me what my favorite Star Wars character was. It actually wouldn't have been. It actually would be someone from the books, and wasn't even someone that was created by George Lucas. It was mm. created by somebody else. Oh, okay. Well, the correct answer is Darth Vader, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about this section at Jabba's palace. Um, John, 
what are some of the things that you liked most about this sequence? So uh, do consider that this is about a 30 minute long sequence. So feel free to, <laughs> you know, talk about whatever, but like, what is it about, you know, walking into this palace with R2 and, and 3PO and then what transpires from there? Um, well, I do, I do like that much like a new hope our our first sort of good guy characters that we're really kind of introduced to in this are R2 and 3PO. And we're kind of, you know, it's almost like we're really seeing the story play out through their eyes. Um, a lot of the time, cause they're just involved in everything. They just happen to be there. Um, there's a lot of things that I love about Jabba's palace. It feels skeezy. It feels like a real mobster lives there. Now, when I rewatched this, I rewatched it on Disney Plus, and it has all of the updated stuff. And yes, I also didn't really like the updated stuff. Um, I didn't like the band that they added all the extra players to. Terrible. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't like it. Um, I am impressed though, because I did remember hearing um, when in like the mid '90s when Lucas reissued Star Wars with these updated things. I heard him like on the uh, doing a radio interview or something like that. The thing that he that impressed me was um, the lady who plays the Green Twi'lek. Um, she was brought back like 15 years later to do scenes again for that, and he was like, she looked exactly the same. That oh, she wow. had in 1983. So a lot of those scenes that are added, like the added scene of the Rancor pit where you see her dropped in and the thing coming up before you actually see the Rancor, that's her like 12, 13, 14 years later. That's amazing. But she looks that's exactly awesome. the same. Yeah, yeah she looks that's good. Awesome. I was thinking about that because I watched, uh, I went on YouTube and watched the scene from 83 just to compare mm -hmm. it. And I was like, it's so, there's so much extra stuff here. Yeah. What happened? Was it just stuff that they filmed and then they threw in? And to hear that he came back to do it, it's amazing. Oh yeah, he he uh, he recorded extra things. You know, it, I'm sure it was things that he had wanted in his head. I yeah. mean, much like the scene in A New Hope with, uh, with Jabba the Hutt that was cut out. Yeah, you know, he went back and added that later when he had the technology. Now, whether or not he should have done that is going to be debated for a long time. Whether we like it or not, it doesn't matter because at the at that point he held the key and it was his baby, yeah. it was his you know car to drive. Um, but a lot of the extra stuff, I just I didn't like. I didn't like the the new kind of bluesy song. Like it felt, it didn't feel um, alien enough. And that's one thing I liked yeah. about like the original like Max Rebo music is a lot of that, even though it was familiar, still felt a little alien. Mm -hmm. And this just felt like I was sitting in a blues dive bar. And yeah. I, that, I mean, that, that I didn't like. Anytime so, yeah. that band yeah. comes in now and I see that band, like just, it's the two new characters that they put in there. Yeah. Right. Every time I'm just hoping that Jabba will eat them both. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I'm wanting. You're like, wait, that. is this now the new cut that he did, where Jabba yeah. just eats yeah, that them could both be the new before new they start singing? That'd be great. I will say, I will say one thing I didn't like, and I and I know I'm sure he was giving, uh, he was giving the 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 girl uh, more screen time with it was, or actually when we see her get thrown into the rancor pit. What I liked about the original was we see nothing when she goes in. We just hear screams, and right. that to me mm -hmm. was way more intimidating and scary yeah. than just even just seeing the door open up and seeing her in it. Because then we know what the pit is like, and not knowing what the pit is like is the intimidating and the scary part. 
That's a great yeah. point. I, yeah. I agree with that 100%. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dean, I, what, I, what are your thoughts? I, oh, yeah. T- say what you want to say, then uh, tell us your thoughts on Jabba's Palace here. Okay. So it, it has to do with Jabba's Palace, but it's, uh, I have I have a friend who, um, a, a good friend who's a really big film nerd, um, but he likes classics. He likes indie movies. He likes dramas. Not a genre guy. Doesn't know about really anything that has to do with sci-fi. Never seen them. So because Star Wars is such a big, you know, movie, you know, changed a lot of things um, in in sci-fi movies. He knows what Star Wars is, but he's never seen them. Never seen any Star Wars movies. And so we were hanging out like a couple weeks ago and I got Return of the Jedi playing on the TV. He walks in during this performance, during the the Max Rebo band Sly Snoodles (laughs) singing. And he's like, what's this? And I said, this is Star Wars Return of the Jedi. And he just says, this is Star Wars? Like, <laughs> this is what I've been missing that everyone else goes crazy over? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. This is the weirdest it gets. <laughs> this is the weirdest Star Wars gets. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> not a good not a good entrance for him. I don't think he's going to go watch it now. That's the worst entrance possible. Yeah, worst entrance possible. Uh, yeah, I, I, what are your uh, feelings, though, I, So, yeah, I, I don't... Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I saw it. I saw it when I was 10 or 11. So the music was fine. You know, like I saw this version Mm -hmm. when I was 10 or 11. So like I liked it. I was jamming with it. So again, playing it on the screen, I I, like this time around, every time around, it's like, I, I don't really like how it looks like it obviously looks so out of place, but I don't, really mind it just because it gives me i guess those nostalgic vibes you know it's like i just know this part of the movie and i know the song and sort of kind of gives me gives me okay feelings um so you know yeah not my favorite part the song Mm -hmm. um but i think just this whole this whole palace might be my favorite part though because there's just so many creatures in here so many interesting looking you know scum interesting looking villains in here you get to see uh, Jabba, you get to see this like giant slug puppet thing, and he's just like disgusting, and laughs and has his tongue, and he's so he's so confident, you know. He's just like he you you just believe that this guy has the power. This guy is in charge of everything. Um, so I really like I really like that part. I, I like seeing all that. I like seeing the inner workings. Kind of reminds me of A New Hope when we go to you know the cantina and we see all mm-hmm. those different kinds of characters and you know meet han solo um yeah and i feel like that's one of the reasons why star wars keeps going back to tatooine is tatooine yeah. feels like a much more varietous place where you can yeah. really you can you know anyone can be there anyone yeah. of, of any species any aliens or anything could show up and it wouldn't feel weird you could yeah. see anything there and i, I that's probably part of the reason why they keep going back to Tatooine for all of these things because it's already been established um to talk back uh talk back um to talk about uh, the books again there was a book I remember reading when I was a teenager called Tales from Jabba's Palace and it was like five or six different authors who basically picked a character from Jabba's Palace that had no backstory and wrote a whole story for them neat cool and there's a lot of really cool, interesting stuff. Not all of them are winners, but there are some really cool stories in there, you know, for just random characters who you see who just get like a, you know, two seconds of screen time or, um, you know, maybe 15 seconds of screen time. And, don't, and of course, because it's George Lucas, they all have a name. Yeah. yeah. And we learn their names, um, but they write these cool stories to go with it. So you, you, you feel like 
their reason for being there makes sense. Um, yeah. Just something to look into. Yeah, for sure. Whenever I, I've, I talk up supplementary material all the time with Star Wars. <laughs> um, I just, I, I love what that would do for you, right? Like in this mm-hmm, scene yeah. where the rest of us are just watching these random characters that you don't know about, people who have read the book, they'll come in and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's him. Oh, remember, or that's her. Um, their backstory's so fucking cool. Like if only, you know, uh, if only Lando bumped this character here, there'd be like shit would go right. down, but it, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I, I love, yeah. I love stuff like that. I love the, I love world building with other material. Um, yeah. What I really like about like the story aspect of what's happening here is that we've just come off empire and I'm not expecting our friends to be thrown right back into a dire situation because that was the entire movie of empire. Right. And we, we ended it on sort of a happy note, but they're thrown right back into the shit here. Um, like R2 and 3PO, they come in trying to cut a deal with Jabba. They get laughed out. And then Mm -hmm. we see Chewie comes in and he's captured by a bounty hunter and Oh no, Chewie's captured. Like that sucks. But, oh, wait, it turns out Leia's the bounty hunter. Oh, that's awesome. And then she frees Han, right? This is great. Things are looking up. But, wait, it's a trap. But, hold on, don't get worried yet because Luke comes in looking just like his father, acting just like his father. I'm going to tell you, this is the reason why I love Return of the Jedi so much is Luke in this movie. He's amazing. He he uses so much of the dark side yep. in this movie. The first thing we see him do is force choke two Gamorrean guards. Yep. Yeah. And that is not something I've seen. I didn't see, Ob- I never saw Obi-Wan do any of that. I haven't seen any of the other, you know, Jedi do that. He is, he is, he is walking dangerously, dangerously close to that dark side line. And uh, Tim, I will tell you much like you, I'm an empire man. All right. I yes. love me the Empire. Yes. Um, Thank you. I, lo- I used to I used to know like all the ship names and types and stuff like that. I loved I just I love the look of it. It all mm-hmm. looks super cool. I love the dark side. You can ask my wife, she hates it. I started replaying <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic. I always go dark side. Pretty much any <laughs> game that allows you to do that, I always go dark side. Same here. It's man. just fun. It's more it's fun. fun. It looks it's better. Just it's, fun. Yeah. It's yeah. way more cool. And uh Luke's like tiptoeing of the dark side is what really makes him more interesting to me in this movie yeah. than any of the other ones. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Luke is the best in this movie than he is in, in any of the other ones. And it's the it's the most interested I am in him mm-hmm. um, is, is in this movie. He's never really been one of my favorite characters. Uh, I, I like I like the rebels, you know, I, I I like all the good characters as well, but he's really just never been one of my favorites. But this movie is where I like him the most. This movie yeah. is where I, I watch it and I think, you know what? Maybe he is one of my top guys, you know, in this movie for sure he is. I agree with that. Yeah. His powers have peaked in this movie. And mm-hmm. at that moment, at the beginning, we do really see he is tiptoeing the line of the dark side. I don't think his path yeah. is set yet. He could still flip flop right. both ways just because of that first scene they show of him doing that. That's not a Jedi trait. So I really like that. Um, but he comes in and we're like, okay, okay, great. Luke is here to free everybody. He's going to free all yeah. of our friends. And then he gets caught. So it's just like a terrible start for this group of people who just went through the meat grinder in the previous movie. And to add on to that, 
at Jabba's palace here, they're showing us droids being tortured, which just yeah. it adds to the terrifying effect for children that they're. Oh my doing gosh! This. When I was a child, that poor little that poor little uh, Gronk or whatever it is that gets his feet yeah. burned. It's awful. Oh, it oh it's horrible. For me. Yeah, it's screaming. Oh. Yeah, and it's never screaming. mind the fact that it's a droid and it shouldn't actually feel anything. Right. Yeah. And, well, and, I guess they do. I guess I they get, feel yeah. pain. Which I mean, what, what screwed up programmer decided to give yeah, them that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It could have just been its ego being hurt. Just like, yeah. no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want you to do that. Ah. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I, totally. I love that because these movies, you know, we've talked about it before. These are scary movies for children. Um, and this mm. this is part of that. They give us this scene to scare children. So I, I do like it. Yeah. yeah. But after this, you know, the whole scene at um, Jabba's palace here we're taken to the Sarlacc pit where Luke is able to get his lightsaber back and Dean what did you think about this escape scene uh, here on like Jabba's barge and the Sarlacc pit yeah it's uh, it's great because you realize here that Luke had a plan all along you know and that he wanted not even that Luke had a plan all along but Luke had a plan with R2-D2 that they didn't tell C-3PO which I think is hilarious. It's R2-D2 just like withholding information from C-3PO again. Like he's shocked. C-3PO is actually shocked when he's, when they play that, that, you know, that film of Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's, Luke says, you know, here you can have these droids as a gift. So I love that it's him, R2-D2 and Luke with a plan together to free everybody. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I like that Luke is, Luke's so calm in the scene, which is, you know, it's just cool. And then he's, you believe he has everything under control because of how calm he is. Uh, it's uh, R2 shooting the lightsaber out to him, you know, and then the fighting starts. It's just a, it's a great way to do it. I, I like the pit. I like this. I like this whole, this whole exchange is great. And also, you know, to top it all off, you know, Leia, who's been, captured and taken prisoner by Jabba, she gets to choke him out with the chain he's holding her with. Like, that's just great stuff. I mean, that that scene may, may have been responsible for some kinks I've had to deal with in my adulthood. I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that feel that way, John. And, and you yeah. see, maybe need to see a therapist about that, but, you know. I think it's pretty normal. <laughs> uh, Dean, the reason that you don't let C-3PO in on a plan is because he can... He can ruin the secret in six million different languages. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and he'll brag about that. Oh yeah, he will. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a fun scene. Um, John, does anything stick out for you with the Sarlacc pit? Well, what I what I love here is you know, Luke. You know, he we we saw a a fight scene in Empire. You know, a lightsaber scene with him in Empire, and it was okay. It's not great because Luke doesn't, you know, Luke hasn't had his skills. He's had time now to train himself and he's pretty much right at his most badass at this point in the movie because, I mean, the first physical thing we see him do is jump off a plank, grab it, flip over the guy, force grab the lightsaber, and then just fucking go to town on some, all this, all some really cool stuff. So that like, like I said, Luke is not much like you, Dean. Luke is not one of my more favorite characters. Except in this movie, he might be my most favorite character in this movie. Yeah, because of I mean he he's never been more badass than here, and I really appreciate that kind of growth. I guess. Yeah, he murders so many guys here in this scene. 
He does. And they had it coming. Well, they sure did. They had it coming. He goes off though. Yeah, Man. he does. He just like he jumps onto another ship just to like kill those people on there. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, they were shooting at him. Yeah, true. He had to. He had to do it. It's all fine. It's just it's a lot of murder. That that's all. <laughs> Yeah, that's all I'm saying. You got to do what you got to do to get free. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that as they're escaping, uh, R2 pushes uh, 3PO off the barge. I thought that was really, really funny. Just into the sand. That's what I love about it. It's not like he pushes them off and they land on something and fly away. Just into the sand. He's like, we're out of here. We got to get off this thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated at this point with all the new characters that this movie's giving us. And for me, it really helps to continue building like the magical Star Wars world, like the more species and and different characters that come into the movie just makes my imagination grow even more. Like when Mm -hmm. when R2 and 3PO walk into Jabba's palace and they see the Gamorreans, I'm just like, like, what a way to start the movie off with characters that look that cool. And like you go from there, you've got them. You've got uh, Bib Fortuna. You've got Jabba himself. You've got Salacious Crumb, the Rancor, um, all new characters. Then later in the movie, you get the Ewoks, you get the ATSTs, and the new Scout Troopers. And like this is all, <laughs> of course, it does build the world. But this is right. all, all because George Lucas wants to sell toys. Because every single one of those becomes a toy that he sells from Return of the Jedi. And um, in writing, Lawrence Kasdan and and Harrison Ford, they wanted Han Solo to be killed. I think that's common knowledge. But the reason George Lucas said no was because he wanted to sell Han Solo toys. And if Han Solo was killed, he wouldn't be able to sell that toy as well as if Han Solo was alive. So Lucas really went for it with the toys. I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about that. But just the number of new characters we get in this movie is just, it's incredible. I bought the toys. I played with the toys. I love the toys. I'm happy about it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just smart business. So yeah. we talked about it in the last episode, Dean. Um, Lucas said they're called at-ats. So that doesn't work yeah. for me when you introduce the ATST. What do you call I that? Know. What do you call that? Atsta? That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking when I was watching. I was like, what the hell do you call these things then if I'm supposed to call the other things at ats? I, th- I think George Lucas is wrong. It's got to be ATAT <laughs> yeah. and ATST. A-T-A-T. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you can call it what you want. I prefer at at for that. And I just say ATST for the small ones. And yeah. I don't give it another thought. That's a conflict of interest. There's no reasons John. for that, John. You know, it's. <laughs> it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of beyond the point of caring because people complain about. <laughs> The most minute <laughs> amount of thing. It's kind of like, uh, and this is a weird thing to talk with you guys about, but uh, um, I, I don't know if you know, but like th- down here, like the word pecan is a contentious word because it's pronounced two different ways, except I don't prefer, I don't pronounce it either way. It's either pecan or pecan, but because I was born in the Midwest and I grew up in the South, I have a hyphenate, I have a combination word. I say pecan. Ooh. And that, okay. just weirds, that just weirds people out because I'm like, now I don't even know where you're from. I get you. You don't say it either way, <laughs> and it's just—it's just—it's just—it just, it, it just, was just how I developed saying the word, I guess. Um, so to me, there's between—if you want to say ATAT, say ATAT. If you want to say ADAT, because I'm lazy, I'm gonna say ADAT. There's no easy way to say ATST, so I'll just go with it. 
you like to blaze your own trail, John, and I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> Tim and I are very very open to any anything anyone likes about Star Wars and how they want to how they want to say the words but uh at at ATAT I think that's the hill we die on Tim I think we die on the ATAT hill <laughs> I mean I just I call it ATAT I call it ATS I will call it that for all my life I also call it a, a pecan <laughs> Uh I think I switch back and forth cuz I don't know what you're supposed to call it Whatever you want Exactly whatever you want, whatever yeah. you want. Now I know hell now yeah. I know I, there's three ways now <laughs> Now, guys, this always felt a little bit weird for me that um, in Empire, the, the our, our friends have been, you know, broken and, and away from each other the entire movie. They finally all get back together here. And then as soon as Han is free, Luke decides to take off. Um, basically, he just goes off to watch Yoda die. And I thought it was always a little bit weird that like, why not? No, no, no. I, like, I want you to stay together. I read up on the purpose of that scene with Luke going to see Yoda. And it's very interesting because while there's a lot of great dialogue in that scene, Lucas said its main function was to have Yoda confirm that Vader is Luke's father because children like myself were doubting that Vader was telling the truth in Empire. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I really love that scene. Um, I know it sort of like feels out of place and Yoda's like insufferable in it. I find him very funny. The amount of times he says Luke before he says the next sentence, he does that like 10 times in a row. <laughs> just like <laughs> as he's dying, he said Luke 10 times. Like he could have just used his breath for some other some other <laughs> words. But uh, I find him very funny that he's still holding out. You know, he still doesn't want to tell him. That's why I, mm -hmm. that's why I like it, I think, because Yoda's here. He's dying. Luke knows. Luke already confronted vader and he still won't tell him he's like is vader my father and and yoda just like rolls over and he's like oh, i'm very tired you know i'm gonna just take a nap like he just is avoiding the question so i like that part and then i like when he talks to obi-wan because obi-wan's telling him to kill vader and he's like oh i don't know he's like i don't know if i can i don't know if i can kill vader i don't know if i can do it and then like later in the movie the emperor is going to tell him to kill him and so it's like it just you have the good side telling him to kill someone and you have the bad side telling him to kill someone. And so it's it's just like, it's the meaning of the kill, right? It's the meaning of why you kill that's going to turn him to one side. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was very interesting that Obi-Wan is telling him to kill Vader. And he's like upset when he says he won't do it. Luke was saying he couldn't do it because emotionally he wasn't going to be able to kill his father if this was his father. Well, he says he, says he senses good in him and he can turn him. That's what that's his argument to Obi-Wan. So and Obi-Wan's like pissed at that. Like he just wants him. He just wants him to kill him. I just find it interesting that Obi-Wan's pushing so hard that he kill him. Even when Luke's like, no, he's good. I'm going to try to turn him. I'm going to try to get him on the good side. And he's like, no, 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 that ship has sailed. I, I've seen what he's done. I uh, that sounds like every girl I knew in high school who dated the jerk jock who was like, I can change him. No, you, you can't. <laughs> yeah. I can I can turn him. Do you know that he killed a bunch of children? Do you know that? <laughs> I want to ask you guys. I'm sure that there is some nerd who will correct me. And I say nerd lovingly because I, I am. So one. do we. We say that too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you think, because I've never actually read whether it was confirmed that this is the case. Do you think that Yoda was 900 years old because his species lasted that long or because he was so strong in the force? I think his species lasted that long because I think the other... Um, the other Jedi that was his species on the council in um, The Phantom Menace, uh, Yaddle, 
she like lived in a pit for like 400 years or something. Is so I think in, it's just is that, that in like, some book or something like that. Yeah, it's in it's in some. I think it's on just on Wikipedia, so it must be in some book or something where that says. But also, but she would be strong in the force too. Actually, I think it says she just lived off the force for four hundred years because like she was in a pit and didn't get food or anything. So it still could be a force thing. It still it still okay. could be that. I thought that their species just lived that long. I take it as their species lives that long because yeah. um, okay. the humans are strong in the force too, right? Like like Obi Wan Kenobi is strong in the force, but he he. Like he got old and he aged, you know, the appropriate way that yeah, he should. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I guess with the Mandalorian, you see Baby Yoda and he he's fifty years old and he looks like a baby. So, you know, okay, fair that, enough. That might say something towards that. But um, okay. Anyways, back to this Yoda thing. Like Yoda, <laughs> he tells us here, well, he tells Luke here that you know Luke has a sister. There's there's another Skywalker. No, John. Like, do you have any memories of this moment when you watched it for the first time? Because this is a pretty big, like, holy shit moment um, in the original trilogy. If you're watching it chronologically, mm-hmm. this is not a big deal at all. But um, I know I know when I watched it as a kid, this was a huge deal. Do you have any memories of that, John? I wish I could say I did, but I don't. I don't, I don't remember what it was like watching it for the first time. So, unfortunately, I can't say how I felt at the time. Okay. No, no worries. So... The rebels have gathered some intel that the emperor himself is on the Death Star and they see this as their chance to destroy the empire. So they set a plan in motion to shut down a shield generator on the moon of Endor so that their ships can take a run at the Death Star. Now on Endor, I mean, we start off with this amazing speeder bike chase and then we get to meet the Ewoks. Um, John, are you a fan of the speeder bikes and the speeder bike scene? I love me some speeder bikes. I love the speeder bikes. I love the scout troopers. I like the look yeah. of the scout troopers. I think it's the best looking armor. Um, if 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 I was skinny enough to join the 501st, um, I think if you had asked me when I was a kid which one I would want to be, I actually would have said um, the Emperor's Guard. Because I thought they looked the coolest. They're so cool, yeah. Uh, but if I had to pick a stormtrooper armor, it would be the scout trooper. Because I just think it looks the coolest. That's awesome. That's exactly what I was going to say, John. When you were done, I was going to say, uh, first is the Emperor's Guard is who I'd want to be. <laughs> I like that that red just fucking rules. It looks yeah. so good. Second is the scout trooper. Like they just they it looks so good. It's so it's so different from what we've seen, but also you know very similar. You can see how you know exactly what side they're on you know who they are but it's just like it's yeah it's so unique and i just loved those speeder bikes i had the toys had the scout troopers mm-hmm. it was it was probably the to- one of the toys from this movie that i played with the most for sure i just i, I loved it so much yeah that's cool i do think the scout troopers look the coolest um if i was to choose a toy though i'd probably go with the snow trooper i just love their hood it reminds, oh, yeah. Reminds, yeah. reminds me of cobra commander so i think i'd go i think i'd go that <laughs> route yeah, that's that fair. was uh, yeah, and I I love seeing those guys too. It's like just when you see someone in the you know just wearing the armor, you've never seen them before. There's wearing in the armor in the background, and you're just like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck's this guy all about? <laughs> uh, that's how I felt about the the guard, like the these just red boys walking out of the ship. I'm like, what? What are they gonna do? How can like they just <laughs> they got these capes on? These just like long robes, man, so cool. Yeah, again, just more like great, you know, marketing. And toy selling yeah. by Lucas. Like, why just yeah. have the regular Stormtrooper when you could change their costumes for different environments and make a new toy? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're going to put like a bunch of effort into it and make it the the best looking thing in the movie, the thing that we all love the most, great. great. I want that it's toy. Great. I had that toy and I loved it. Yep. Uh, this is a really great part in the movie here on Endor, the, the, you know, the after the the speeder bike, because it basically slows everything down. Um, everything's been pretty intense up to this point in the movie. It's going to get very intense after this. But this is a chance uh, for us all to just catch our breath, uh, even though our friends just about get cooked by Ewoks. Um, but this whole, like, the whole like, scene at the Ewok village with 3PO being their god, I thought was just hilarious. <laughs> and not only, like, a really great moment for this movie, but a really great character moment for 3PO himself who hasn't had a lot of wins in this franchise. And he finally lands on a planet where he is a god. And I just think, (laughs) I think it's beautiful. That's great. Yeah, I love it. I love that he can't claim to be a god. You know, they're like, okay, finally, C-3PO can be helpful and useful (laughs) and get us out of this mess. And he's like, no, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to, I'm not allowed to pretend to be a deity. I can't do it. And they get captured anyways. It's so funny. He finally has power. <laughs> I did think it was funny that no matter, beside the fact that they thought he was a god, they really didn't listen to him. No, they didn't. <laughs> True. Yeah, they didn't listen to him at all. They were just like, they were still going to cook everybody, cook up the feast. <laughs> <laughs> they were, even though he said, let them go, they're like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. You you deserve this. <laughs> kick kick back your feet and we'll feed you some Han Solo. <laughs> I loved watching him, you know, tell the story of their adventures uh, to the Ewoks in their language. He went quickly through it. It was, it was cool. It was, it was very cool. Very neat. Yeah. That's probably uh, my favorite 3PO uh, moment. Because it makes yeah. to me, it makes him feel more human than he ever does in any of the movies. Because storytelling is, you know, a very human thing uh, for us to do, you know, to passing things on to our children and stuff like that. So seeing him tell the story and, you know, and despite him being himself putting what seems like a lot of emotion into it uh, is probably the most human thing that we see 3PO do the whole series. I yeah, it's, it's also, yeah. It, it, yeah, totally. It's the moment where I can actually connect it with a kid would have built this, you know, like mm-hmm. a kid would have built this type of robot for himself, for his family. Like I just, I, I could never really connect like, why is Anakin building a protocol droid? Like, why is like why is he building that? Why does he need that? But something like this, I understand. You just don't like, you don't always think of all the things that it might be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, great moment. Uh, I'm with you, John. My favorite moment for 3PO. I think this is more of what the prequel and sequel trilogies are missing. Um, mm-hmm. They don't treat 3PO like this ever again. Uh, I, I think this was a great moment that should have been in some way in each of the trilogies. We mentioned in the Empire episode that Yoda was the best we've ever seen in Empire, and he should have been more like that in the prequel trilogy. Uh, I think this is another misstep where they're not utilizing this character, you know, in, in the in the correct way. They're they're taking some of the fun stuff about the character, but they're not taking the heart of the character and moving that along to the other trilogies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really did like this moment here with Luke and Leia as well. Like Luke knows that Leia is his sister now. And the sheer and utter disgust in her voice 
when she learns that Vader is Luke's father was great. She's yeah. so <laughs> she's so disgusted with Luke when he says that. Yeah. She delivers that line perfectly. Um, but yeah, then she kind of like realizes that she's the sister, and she says she always knew. She somehow always knew. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, uh, Luke really teases it up nice and slowly. He's yeah. just <laughs> he really wants a big reveal for her. <laughs> He's looking for a reaction when he tells her that they're brother and sister, and she's like, "I know, I know, I've known I, all I along. Knew, you know? I knew. <laughs> just I felt it." Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask the dumb question. Yes, do it. Does it bother you with the kiss that happened in the last movie? Because to me, it doesn't really, because that was a pretty tame kiss when it comes to, you know, kisses that you've seen on screen. I mean, I've seen family members not necessarily kiss exactly like that, but, you know, kissing on the lips really isn't that uncommon. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm the weird one here. I think I think it's okay because it is a move just to make Han jealous. Like, that's yeah. the only reason that she is kissing Luke um, it's just weird that she says here, I've known all along. That's the only thing that makes yeah, it weird. Fair. If you could have just taken out that and her being like a little bit surprised of this news, I think then it's just absolutely totally fine. Yeah. I think it's just this little thing that makes people think, well, that's weird. I think you, I think <laughs> we can't take that too literally though. The fact that she says, I always knew. I right. think we, okay. you have to yeah. take that as a feeling. Like there's just a feeling, mm -hmm. yeah. the force. It's like a connection it's with her force, and Luke, a connection right? that she knew was there, yeah. The same yeah. same way as like when he was hanging off at the bottom of Cloud City and she responds to him calling for her. She totally, senses yeah. it, right? So she might yeah, wonder yeah. what that is. She doesn't know that Luke's, uh, you know, her brother. But to answer your question, John, um, when it happened, when the kiss happened in that movie, totally not weird because we don't know that they're brother and sister yet. And I remember right. as a child, like really being torn by this love triangle. Like I really had emotions about who I wanted to end up with Leia. You know, like this, this world is very literal to a child. Um, mm -hmm. So that it was completely normal looking at it afterwards. Yeah. It seems a bit weird. Like, you know, she kissed her brother, but it's not a big deal. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I think people, I think people like maybe joke about it more than anything. Like if I joke mm -hmm. about it, it's just a joke. I'm not really offended by it or anything like that. But great moment when Luke realizes that he's putting the rest of the team here in danger because he's sensed Vader sensing him. So he just turns himself into Vader. That is such a great moment. Um, Luke says to Vader that he can feel the conflict inside of him and that he needs to let go of his fate. But Vader says it's too late for him, which in a way to me... I feel like it shows that there's still something left of him. There's something left mm -hmm. of Anakin because he's yeah, actually totally. acknowledged his past. Yeah. He's acknowledging his former self. So in that moment, I feel like there's Luke knows there's something there for sure. Now I felt that as well. I felt like that response was definitely uh, showed that there there's actually, he didn't completely cut it off. Like it, it almost, it, it was a door opening, you know, it was like, Oh, you know, I think he might be able to turn him. And also, I'm not sure if it's just like me projecting onto a helmet that isn't a face, but I feel like from here on out, uh, Vader just wants to hug 
Luke every time he <laughs> says something to him. And they cut to Vader. I'm just like, I think he just wants to hug him right now. <laughs> he just wants to, son. I mm. I don't know. I'm not there, like, I'm there's not there something, quite yet. <laughs> there's a softness. I feel like there's from this point, and maybe it's this, maybe it's this line. And I'm just, that's why I'm just projecting onto this helmet. But like at, from this point on, I'm like, the softness is there, right? Like I can tell every time now that he's on screen. And I think that moment is punctuated by the fact that right beforehand, when Luke calls him Anakin and he immediately snaps on him, like that name has no meaning to me anymore. Yeah. You know, like, okay, that name still has meaning to you because you yeah. snapped on that <laughs> way too fast. Definitely. And then we see him come down a little bit from that. And I, 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 I think you're right. I, th- that, really tells us that he really does have conflict in him when when he says it's too late for him that's anakin talking that's not vader talking Mm -hmm. and also dean please don't call darth vader a helmet (laughs) he's not a helmet but he has a helmet yeah just don't call him (laughs) don't call him the helmet just don't call him the helmet i take that very offensively i'm sorry if i called him the helmet there's far more to his character than just a helmet Oh, I know. I know, Tim. So we've got about 30 minutes left in this movie. And it uh, from this point on, it cuts between Luke and the Emperor and Vader on the Death Star, the space attack on the Death Star, and the ground troops on Endor. It was this grand, you know, finale sequence. Now, Vader has brought Luke to the Emperor, and the Emperor is trying to get Luke's rage meter all the way to high, by explaining that his friends are all going to die. And the emperor explains that he set a trap. He was the one who gave them the information about the shield generator on Endor. And Luke says something very interesting here. He says, the emperor's overconfidence is his weakness. And I think that makes a lot of sense because after so long of having things go the emperor's way, I think it would be very possible that he does become overconfident with his plan. His plan has worked for like 20 years or or something like that. So Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you just think that your plans are always perfect? But something is a little bit off with this plan and Luke is onto it. And what Luke's onto is that he himself will not be a part of this plan. I, I really like that part. Yeah, I, I like that he he talks about his overconfidence because it helps me out with the battle on the ground and sort of accepting what's going on there because the Emperor is so sure that they are just in no possible way are they going to be able to get that shield down. You know, the ground team is not going to succeed at all. And they get caught and then the Ewoks help out and it's all good. Like they get through it and it's like, really your plan was so like, so good and so air airtight that a group of Ewoks showing up couldn't disrupt it. <laughs> so maybe, maybe because he's so overconfident, he didn't think of like, you know, g- getting with the, you know, teaming up with the people, the, with the species that live there, teaming up with the species that live there to give you that extra edge. Um, so, cause I always had a problem with the Ewoks being like the turning point in that fight. I like the Ewoks. I like I like what they're how they can take down the ATSTs. I like how they're using the land, you know, to mm-hmm. fight. And I always liked that they helped out. But it was always weird for me that they were the turning point. You know, they were the thing that did it for it for for everyone. So going back to that overconfidence kind of makes sense. Yeah, I, I agree because if the emperor did know of the Ewoks, he may not have. But if he did, 
he would have just assumed that they're not going to be able to do anything, right? They're useless. Just right. They're they're small. Yeah. That I mean, that's my that's my take on it. Is that one? There's no way that they've they've established, you know, a, a some kind of base on there and not know what the local flora and fauna yeah. are, um, and probably. They've had the Ewoks have had dealings with the stormtroopers and and yeah. probably why they stay away from them now. Um, but um, I I never I never I don't know I never had a problem with it being the turning point. I I always considered the Ewoks are the X factor. They're the thing that that the Empire has already dealt with. In my mind, they've already dealt with the Ewoks. The Ewoks are scared of them. There's no way they're gonna fight back now. But what they don't expect is that the Ewoks have made these new friends and they have a new god and all of these things that are now motivating them. And we've seen throughout history what a motivated mob with even smaller weapons can really do when it really wants to. I mean, it really all it really does is distract everyone yeah. from the you know, the the focus that they that the Empire had, had before. And they create chaos, and the chaos is what brings everyone down. Yeah, that's true. They they allow the rebels to be able to fight back, where they were like basically in a state where they were done and captured and couldn't fight. They create the Ewoks create chaos so that the rebels can now actually fight and add to those add to those numbers. Yeah, yeah, cool. I like it. The Ewoks aren't really the turning point. Um, I, I would I guess they're the turning point in that small ground battle. But that's not the turning point in the, yeah. in the greater mission here, right? No, but if the shield never comes down, then there's no, there's nothing no anyone can do. Right. Right. So uh, it was all dependent on that shield being down. So that's why, yeah, that's why I just, I feel like the Ewoks are the turning point in the, in the whole battle because they allow the shield to be, to, to come down. Um, yeah, but, but I, I like it. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that that chaos that they can create and that thing, that small thing that the Empire knows is there. I like John's take here that they know that the, the Ewoks are there and they're just like, whatever, like that's not going to be a problem at all. They can help out enough that they can turn this whole battle. I like that it's on their terrain. So they know how to do yeah, things, right? Totally. You know what this reminded yeah. me a lot about? Was um, the movie Predator. When Arnie sets up a bunch of, a bunch of forest traps for the Predator mm-hmm. yeah. and like deals him you know, some damage. And that's what was happening here. Like, I wonder if, if predator yeah. borrowed from this, um, you know, there's logs flying from trees, smashing, you know, into the ATSTs. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a fun scene, very dramatic. And I love how, like, they're trying to get into this bunker this whole time, right? That's, that's all they're trying to do is get yeah. into this bunker. Nothing works. R2 gets shot, almost destroyed. Han gets shot, almost killed. Nothing is going to get them into this bunker. And that's what the Empire is relying on. And then what does end up getting them in is just simple trickery. It's just Han mm, yeah. pretending to be one of them. And that's enough. It's like, it's kind of like what we've talked about before. Like the Emperor, or sorry, the Empire, they think they're so good and like so up high on their pedestal, they can stop any sort of frontal assault. But they're too dumb to realize a simple trick might you know be the thing that catches them that that gets these yeah. these rebels in so i love that after trying to get in so long just butting their head against this door and nothing happening they just stop and pause for a second and they're like why don't we just pretend to be one of them and just ask them to open the door and that works 
So Luke has taken up his lightsaber against the Emperor, and Vader has now engaged him. And Luke is so worried about his friends that Vader senses Luke's connection to Leia, and now he knows that he has a daughter. I love that. They always talk about your feelings betray you. Luke was focusing so much on Leia that Vader can just pick up on the fact that that is his daughter. Um, very, very, very cool. And I like that Vader just immediately goes to, oh, maybe I'll just turn her to the dark side instead then. Yeah, he's pumped. He knows, he's all, like, the, he knows all the right buttons to get Luke yeah, to respond. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that made Luke so mad, but he's just so pumped. He's like, oh, great. Another, another one. I got a daughter. I'll just turn her if you're just not going to turn. <laughs> Excellent. You got two chances at this. Um, <laughs> two chances. This really pisses off Luke, though. And oh, yeah. because of it, rage. yeah, because of it, we get to add to our limb counter by the cutting off of Vader's hand. So mm-hmm. activate the limb counter up to 13. Great. Um, Luke has embraced his hatred and anger at this moment and become more powerful than Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. Th- this this is amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing moment. The Emperor has finally got what he's looking for except Luke puts his lightsaber down. And for me, this is the definitive moment where the Emperor's plan has failed. And just a great, great moment in the movie for me. Luke is too powerful um, in the light side. So the Emperor just starts torturing Luke with his force lightning. And this is the coolest shit I had ever seen when I first saw this Mm -hmm. movie. This moment. totally. Just this whole scene. Oh, my goodness. This is mind-blowing for me as a child. Yeah, this whole scene is, uh, honestly, I think it's just one of, it's one of my favorite scenes for sure in the whole original trilogy, um, from Luke throwing his, well, from Luke, like, beating down Darth Vader, cutting off his hand, to him throwing his lightsaber, like, it's a, it's a boss throw, you know, he's just like, he, he doesn't, he, like, he, uh, deignites it or whatever, puts it, puts it, puts the light down, and just tosses it, like, he's like, I'm done, it's not even just, like, puts it down, holsters it, whatever, he throws it away, he's like, I'm not even gonna do any of this anymore, then you get Emperor's Lightning you haven't seen before, and, and then you get, you know, we're, we're gonna get to it, but you get a Vader moment, that is one of my favorite Vader moments in, in, in all of the, in the movies because I love his arc and this is where it, it peaks, you know, this is where the arc comes all the way back up. Um, so this, I just, this entire scene, this entire collection of, uh, events that's happening just one after the other. So dramatic. Um, and yeah, so cinematic. I love it. Yeah. John, any thoughts here? Yeah. One of my favorite things is, is the scene where like loot is like basically just beats down Vader and chops off his hand and you get that moment where all of a sudden he he looks at his own robotic hand and realizes he is becoming his father. And so there's totally. weird crossroads where the in this in you know in in this scene or in this kind of section of the movie uh Vader seems to be on the way back to the light as Luke is on the way to the dark. And when Luke sees that what that he's turning into what his father was, that's that's when he knows he has enough sense in the light to throw away the lightsaber because if he I if he you know holsters the saber or still holds it I think we've lost Luke at that point yeah to the dark side but he cool. he knows that he's he's at that point 
he's about to reach the point of no return. And if he doesn't do this thing, if he doesn't throw away his lightsaber and, and stand up and say, no, this is it, um, then he's going to be lost to the dark side forever. That's a really cool thing you just said, because we know balance of the force is such a big thing. And your comment on Darth Vader starting to head towards the light side as Luke is starting to head towards the dark side, that makes a lot of sense. And I hadn't really considered totally. that before. That is very cool. Um, I, I really love that comment. I, li- I like this moment yeah. even more because of that. That's that's very insightful. I don't always say smart things, but on occasion it happens. <laughs> <laughs> so Luke is on the ground just writhing in pain. Um, his cries for help don't fall on deaf ears, though, as Vader decides to help. And there's something in this shot of Vader standing beside the Emperor while the Emperor's doing it that just gets me. It's it's really weird. I don't... I don't Does it really... feel to you like you can literally see the conflict on his face despite the fact that you can't see his face? Yes, and, sure. and it's because yeah. he does a double take. Like, he looks over at the Emperor, yeah. and then he looks back at Luke, and then he looks back at the Emperor, and then he looks back at Luke, and then he decides to do something about it. It was that double take where, yeah, and, and that, that must have been the reason, John. They must have done it to, like, show you the conflict, mm-hmm. and I, I definitely can feel the conflict. Um amazing amazing shot and vader just picks up the emperor and you know over his head then throws him down a pit where the emperor explodes in a blast of energy but obviously the emperor is you know force lightning vader at the same time and just destroys all of his you know life support systems but really great scene dean what did did you think of that i love it um i love the anakin Darth Vader arc. Uh, I love the, you know, it's kind of, it's a trope and we see in other movies, but like, you know, the chosen one, you know, the, the kid who's being pumped up from the time he's, he is a kid that he's going to be the one to save us all. He's going to be one to balance the force, all this and all that pressure, um, all that pressure on him causes him to fail in the end. He fails and turns as evil as possible, becomes the most evil person in the entire galaxy and then we get to, you know, bringing his family back, bringing his son back and his son being the one to have the hope in him and keep pushing, even though everyone's telling him, even though his his ghost Obi-Wan is telling him to just kill him. And he says, no, I know there's something in him. And so that moment where we get that, where we get what Luke's been talking about the entire movie, we get to see it. We get to see Vader actually make that move, pick up the Emperor, throw him down the pit. It's uh, it is it's my favorite Vader moment. Like, it's just, this is the whole arc that I'm wanting to have. This is, this is the way I want it to end up. I want him to do this. It's hard to say he redeemed himself because he killed so many people. He's the most evil person in the galaxy, Mm -hmm. but it is, it is the character, at least in his last moments, turn like having more light in him than dark and coming back to being Anakin, not being Darth Vader anymore. And at least getting to die as Anakin. Uh, I just, I, I think it's, Beautiful. I love it. Yeah. I totally agree. So I kind of go back and forth here. I never know what to call him. What do you guys think? John, what do you think? Is he still Darth Vader at this point? Or is he it just in this one moment? Does he become Anakin again? Or is he still just Darth Vader who's who's turned to the light? 
it's a, that's a hard thing because like I've they they talk about him as Anakin and you know I grew up with just the original trilogy. By the time the prequels came out, I was I was almost at you know I was out of high school by the time the second two of them came out, and I was almost out of high school when the first one came out. And so I'm this whole time I only have seen him as Darth, and yeah, they've talked about him as Anakin, but you know I still only see him as Darth Vader. Um, I imagine for people who grew up with the prequel trilogy, they see him as Anakin, and especially anyone who watches like Clone Wars, because at this point they've shown him as Anakin so much in all of these other things that it's going to be hard for them to. They see Anakin, and or and maybe they see Anakin and Darth Vader as two different characters, but obviously it's the same one. But uh, to me, he's always still Darth. Philosophically speaking, I think he is Anakin at that point. I think he's come. I think he's come back. He's he's admitted defeat in coming back to the light. If that makes sense, like you were yeah. right. I mean, he says it. You were right about me. I I did have conflict. I am still Anakin, no matter how much I denied it and tried to, you know, claim that he was gone. He was always there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think, yeah, th- there always was a little bit of Anakin there. Um, yeah, so I, I do I do think at this point he is kind of, he, he has redeemed himself as Anakin. Um, it's just, it's a bit tough because it's so quick. Right. And he's, mm-hmm. he's still in the Vader outfit. So, uh, but I, I do always have conflict of what to call him there. And sometimes, you know, I'll call him Vader. Sometimes I'll call him Anakin, but I, I do think Anakin is the right choice here. I think he has redeemed himself as Anakin Skywalker in this moment. Yeah. Which makes the change in the force ghost scene actually make me upset. Yeah, I, I have a, we'll, I have a no, thought on that. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. I know. Yeah, I didn't. I, I brought I, it up, but I knew. I knew we weren't quite there yet. So yeah, we'll, I have thought. We'll I have talk about it as well. We yeah. So Anakin asks Luke to take off his mask so that he can look upon him with his own eyes, and Luke says that will kill him, but Anakin says it's too late, and he takes the helmet off. This always scared the shit out of me. He looks so yeah. fucked up. Um, <laughs> uh, to be completely honest with you, I always had trouble connecting with this moment because of how scary Anakin looks. Um, mm-hmm. I, this this moment never really did anything for me. Just I was I was yeah. just in fear and oftentimes not even looking. Yeah, I remember as a kid not being able to look at the screen at this part. Yeah, he's yeah, so white disturbing. and like yeah. scarred. He's very white. Yeah, you don't think? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Anakin dies here. And Luke cries. I think I think his line is very weird here. Um, you know, tell your sister you were right is weird. Like, obviously, that's what he's going to tell her. That's like the first <laughs> thing he's going to tell her. He's going to go back and he's going to be like, Leia, I was right. I turned him and we're all good. So why? Like, I just don't know. It's like, tell your sister I love her. I don't know. <laughs> tell your sister I wish I met her. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, tell your sister you were right is weird. Maybe, maybe like... He needs the reassurance. Like we have seen Luke need reassurance from everybody through this movie. Like he never, you can never tell him one thing one time and he's good with it. He needs to hear it multiple times. So maybe he just needed to hear that again. Make sure you tell her you were right. And you're right in this moment. I turn. (laughs) Yeah. 
We haven't talked much about them, but Lando and Chewie are in the Millennium Falcon. Uh, they're along with Wedge, who's in an X-Wing, and they're making a run on the Death Star. They're able uh, to... Sorry, I'm going to make a correction. It's not Chewie. Oh, it's not Chewie? Who was it? No, Chewie's on, Chewie's on the ground. Chewie's on oh, the yeah, ground. Chewie, with... Yeah, Chewie's in the ATST. My bad. Yeah. yeah. Who's with Lando? It's... I forget his... Uh, uh, I used to know his name. Oh, He's that's a funny-looking Cel- guy. What is it? Niam Nub? Yeah, like Neem Nub or some Yeb Nub or something <laughs> like that. Nub? Oh. Yeah, it's like Niam Nub or Neem Nub. How could I not remember that? Yeah, he's How embarrassing. Neem Nub. <laughs> yeah, you're right, he though. Is, he does not think the plan is going to work. He's very worried the entire time. He's right to be worried. But uh, they end up hitting the reactor, and the Death Star blows up. And yeah, I like what they I like what they did with this sky battle. We didn't talk about it a lot because there's really not a lot to it. No, um, because we've already seen it. We've already seen the Death Star trench run. We've seen this before, so they don't give us a lot of it. Um, but what they do give us is a lot of sort of Lando catching us up on what's going wrong. Like just in case you don't know, you know what the problems are happening on the ground. He then we go back to the sky and he lets us know why this is a problem and why they can't do anything. And then they sort of have you know they have their fight. And you also, with, you know, Lando there, um, gives us the information that they thought the Death Star wasn't done yet, but it's actually fully operational and blowing them out of the sky. So that's also another sort of twist supposed to be in the movie, that they were just showing up to blow the thing up and they didn't think it could shoot yet. They didn't think it was operational. Right. Yeah. um, Speaking of things going wrong, uh, the Death Star, you know that little, like, that concave area where it shoots the laser out of? Yeah. It wasn't supposed to have that, but I read that George Lucas went to set one day and looked at the Death Star and just kind of pushed on it with his finger and it pushed into the sphere. Like he damaged the prop. (laughs) So they had to do something with it and they made that whole like pushed in area because he damaged the Death Star. Great. Happy mistakes, right? Like how cool is that? Yeah, it looks great. How cool does that look with that one area that's pushed in? That's classic Death Star. Best. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. So we get a scene with Vader's body being burned. Uh, very sad. Then we see the galaxy celebrating their victory. There's fireworks everywhere. Our friends are partying with the Ewoks. Luke sees the force ghosts of Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Anakin. And let's talk about the force ghost at this moment because we're here. John, I'll let you go first because you brought it up. Okay. I'm going to back up just a little bit. Sure. Um, I wonder, and this just hit me, I I wonder why, now I, I'm imagining it, it was just cinematically it made more sense, but I wonder why um, Luke burned Vader with his helmet on and mm. not with not having taken some of the equipment off to be more as his father. Now, it may have just been he didn't actually want to watch his father burn. It was easier to do it with the helmet on. You could also make that argument. But I, I wondered if, if there was supposed to be any sort of symbolism of maybe the, you know burning him with the Vader helmet on is burning the memory of Vader away. I, I don't know. I'm talking out of my yeah. ass at that point. Um, but it, it, it just kind of shot, uh, kind of got me weird. Two, and I'm just going to say this now, I hate all the additions they added to the end of this. Um, first of all, it made no sense that people in Coruscant would be celebrating because at this point, almost all the people in Coruscant have a vested interest in the Empire continuing, and they would not be celebrating at all. Um, two, or three, and this is the most important thing, 
I miss my fucking Yub Yub song. They changed yeah. the song. The original Yub Yub song is so much more fun. Um, I hate that. But the Force Ghost, if if the whole point of this movie and the whole point of this journey is Anakin redeeming himself, then I think it needs to be the point at which Anakin redeemed himself is what you see as the Force Ghost. Now, obviously, that is what we see in the original movie because the, trill- the prequels had not been made at that point. Um, because then it also, like... I I know that Lucas's uh, justification was that was that was the last point that he was in the you know in the light was at that age but right you know I mean I'm sure a lot of characters have had up and downs and stuff like that and why why only Anakin and to me it to me it seemed pointless Dean uh, okay so I. Th- think it's like i think he's hayden christensen for two reasons one is definitely so that if people like us are showing our kids the movies and we start with the original trilogy they're going to be like who's that and then we have to go watch the prequels so i think that that is the reason why it's hayden christensen to make us watch the prequels um the second reason though is because it's sort of it's sort of what you were saying, John. What George Lucas says is the last time he's in the light. Uh, I think it's the last time he's a Jedi, and like only the Jedi do this Force Ghost thing. So it's it is the last time he was a Jedi. So it it makes sense to me that if he was able to become a Force Ghost, it would be his Jedi self. Um, so that's yeah, that's why I'm okay with it. Okay with it being Hayden Christensen. Uh, yeah, those are really my thoughts. Okay, my thoughts are it makes sense for it to be the actor from the original trilogy. Um, Like the last time that he was a Jedi technically should be when he turned back to the light side and saved Luke here. That, that technically should be the moment, but I don't want that. I don't want that guy as the force ghost because I have seen the prequel trilogy. I've watched all of the clone wars um, that character uh, of hating Christensen, that's my Anakin. Just because this other guy was in the movie for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, I don't want him being my Anakin force ghost. Also, he terrifies me to look at him. So that, that doesn't do anything for me. You don't want to see him again. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Um, hating Christensen as the force ghost does for me? It makes me cry at this point in the movie every time I see it. It is so Mm. powerful for me. I get so choked up seeing that guy's face, just knowing the plight that he went through that I don't get any of that with this other actor. So sure. Like it should have been him, but I do like the change. I don't like many of the changes that they made, um, you know, with the, the updated features and stuff like that. But this one, I back 100%. I'm a big fan of this one. Well, we're gonna have cool. to agree to disagree on that one. No, that's that, okay. that is that is the hill I will die on. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fair enough, John. I respect that. We all have our hill. And the end. The end. It's actually a very abrupt ending. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone's partying, and then they've just like kind of all get together for a picture. They're not taking a picture, but they look like they're posing for a picture, and then it just ends. Like it just boom over. We did it. That's it. it. And it's probably because the runtime is very long. It's it's. I think it's the longest of the, of the original trilogy. Mm. Um. So they needed to <laughs> need to get to credits pretty quickly. 
So I had um, a thought here about now that, you know, the prequel trilogy is done, now that this trilogy is done, thoughts on where they should have gone with the sequel trilogy? Um, I just think that, like, we just saw the Empire defeated, and I don't think that they should be in power in the next film. Mm -hmm. uh, I would just love to see episode seven be like a natural progression with the rebels now back in power and the empire having to be the ones to dig themselves out of a hole. I would love to see them slowly build their, their forces back, slowly start to put up another, another fight, same way the rebels did. That just feels like it would have been a more natural progression for the flow of this series rather than to just immediately throw us into episode seven where the empire's immediately back in power. Now I know it's not exactly the empire, but right. you know what I mean? Like we just got over that. We just defeated them. Why are they all, you know, immediately back? And I, I'm sure, you know, I understand there's like books and stuff out there that probably talk about how powerful the empire still was, but you know, keeping that aside for now, I think what would have worked for the movies to have that kind of flow. See, Tim, this is why you need... All right, so my favorite book series, and this will play right into you. Uh, my favorite book series is uh, Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy. Um, it's Heir, Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command are the three books. And that's exactly what it is. The Republic is in power, and the Empire is now struggling. And it's those three books is the Empire trying to get away to retake retake what they lost. Now, um, before I mentioned my favorite character not being from the movies, it is Grand Admiral Thrawn from the these books specifically. Um, in my head, you know, of course, every every Star Wars fan is going to have their own fan theories, fan canon, however you want to do it. In my head. Those three books are what seven, eight, nine should have been. And in cool. fact, and I'm going to plug this here, if you go way back into the catalog of the Blast from Our Past podcast, you'll find an episode where we recast uh, those three books as it would have come out in like 1987. Because the books take place five years after the end of Return of the Jedi. So we moved to like 1987 or 1988. And what were the actors of that year that could have played those extra characters? We didn't recast any of the regular, you know, characters who were already in Star Wars, but what if they had made that? Now, granted, the books didn't come out to like 91, 92, but still, it's like in my head, that's what 789 should have been were those books. So also, that if you don't like reading, awesome. the, the audiobooks are really good. So if you don't like reading, you listen to the audiobooks. Audiobooks, they're they're really good. That story, my that's and you'll see why. Even if you don't agree, you'll at least see why Grand Admiral Thrawn is my favorite Star Wars character of all time. Yeah, I have some familiarity with him from Star Wars Rebels. He's in it quite right. a bit. Um, I do think I have um, some sort of graphic novel about Thrawn. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I know I have like a lengthy graphic novel I haven't gotten to yet. Well, um, since since Disney acquired um, uh, uh, the Star Wars stuff, uh, Zahn has written, and he actually wrote a few other books that had Thrawn in it, but he's written three new books that are now considered in canon with mm -hmm. Disney. Um, even though, actually, if you read them, 
they still work with the other three books. What doesn't work with the other three books is um, what they the, is the three movies, the sequel movies that came out after that. That's why those those will probably not will, will never be considered canon, which makes me upset. But nothing I can do about it. I don't you know I don't have billions of dollars to buy Disney and make Star Wars the way I want. So, yep. But if if you if you've if you've never read any of the books, those three, in my opinion, are the only three you have to read you need to read anything after that is just fun supplemental fan you know fun stuff to, to read but those three are really important very cool. cool all right let's get to our rankings yep john as our guest i'll let you go first could you please rank the star wars movies episodes one two three four five and six including solo and rogue one all right uh, this is going to be pretty. This was a pretty easy list for me to, uh, to uh, for me to do. I'm going to start at the bottom because that's the way we do our top tens. We always start at the bottom and go up. In this case, I'm starting number eight. Easily the worst Star Wars movie ever made, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I it, it, I can't watch it. It is worthless. Dean's giving you it a thumbs up. So bad. Cannot watch it. Uh, number seven, right on its heels. Revenge of the Sith. I, Ouch. Ouch. I cannot. It's, it's, it's again, mostly worthless. Um, the whole uh, fight with Anakin and Obi-Wan does nothing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm basically an, an emotionless Sith at this point. It <laughs> <laughs> makes him cry over there. It, it, it does nothing for me. I, I, I actively dislike the Vader no at the end. It and it it's it's yeah, I'm not gonna get into well, it. Well, thanks everybody right. for listening and we'll <laughs> catch you next time. <laughs> All right. Uh next one, solo. Uh I did not like solo. It's okay, but the care like to me, the characters were not memorable. I didn't like how some things just seemed to like they I felt like they tried to force all of the backstory fun stories that we know about Han Solo into this one movie so that they could say, oh, hey, this is where this came from, this is where this came from. And to me, like, there's no reason why all of that stuff should have happened all at this one moment in time for him. So that I didn't like that. Um, above that is The Phantom Menace. And the reason I like The Phantom Menace is because if... I, I mentioned before that I'm, I'm an Empire guy. I like the dark side characters. When I was 18 years old and I saw the trailer for the first time, back when you had to go to the movie theaters to see the trailers, uh, seeing Darth Maul on screen with the fucking double-sided lightsaber was mind-blowing to kids of my age. None of us had ever thought of something like a double-sided lightsaber, and Ray Park plays Darth Maul so well, even though it's not actually his voice, but just the physicalness of him so well, I was actively pissed off when they killed him off at the end of that. Yeah. I I understand, like, maybe having to have him killed off at the end of the three-movie arc, but at the end of the first movie, I mean, he was, like, the he was the reason I wanted to go back. That, that saber fight with him and uh, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon is the reason I watched that movie. 
give or take anything else, but like Darth Maul is the reason I watched that. And I'll be honest, I actually didn't like him showing up in Solo because I mean, if you're cut in half, that's pretty definitive. And I know there's you, it's you can talk ways around that, but I didn't like that. Like if you're gonna kill him, fucking kill him and be done with it. Um, all right, above that is gonna be a New Hope. I love a New Hope. It's the reason we are all Star Wars fans. It's still kind of a slow movie for me. Um, Luke is too whiny. You know, he's not the badass Luke that we're going to get here in, in Return of the Jedi. Um, above that is going to be Rogue One, um, just because it is a better made movie than A New Hope. Um, I enjoy the characters. I'm I'm actually glad they killed off all those characters in, because now I don't have to question whether or not, you know, why they're not in the other ones. All right, good. You get one of the most badass Vader scenes out of that. And actually, I I don't know how anyone else feels about that. I could I could have done without the first Vader scene in that movie because I feel like it was too cheesy, and just seeing him in the one hallway scene would have been surprise enough, and I think it would have actually made that scene even more impactful. But that's my opinion. Uh, number two, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, arguably uh, the best made, the best story, you could say, of. All of them are, are, you know, a lot of people say it is the best Star Wars movie ever made. Um, and from a from a critical standpoint, they're probably right. Um, I love that movie. But my number one, because one, I was a kid when I first saw this. And this thing just played right into my childhood. All these cool little new characters. Um, you know, the good guys win at the end. It makes me feel good to see the good guys win at the end. Um, we get some of the we get uh, some of the best uh, lightsaber fight scenes in the original trilogy. And as I said before, Luke is more badass in this movie than he is in anything else we see him in. And that's mainly why I oh this one always became one of my most rewatched ones of the original trilogy. That's why it's my number one. John, that's a great list. Um, love it. I I love you like explaining why each of the movie fits. Um, I, I do. I love everybody's list. I love hearing what everybody has oh, yeah. to say. I don't know. Like I don't. How many people have we talked to about their list? There's been a bunch. Nobody has had the same mm-hmm. list. Everybody's list is different. Right. That's the beauty yeah. of Star Wars and this franchise is that it's so polarizing. Everybody has their opinions. Everybody like. You've got Revenge of the Sith really low, John. I've got it really high. Uh, but yet we both really like Jedi and we we can talk about all the things we like about it. It's just a really like interesting franchise. And I don't think there's any bad movies in this franchise. Sure, as we say, like this movie is shit. It's based upon <laughs> the best. We, we're putting it up against the best movie, our favorite movie in the franchise, right? right or or of some course. of the movies at the top. But even yeah. the worst Star Wars movie, in my opinion, is much better than the majority of movies out there. I just think they're really, really fun movies. Um, I would say, though, that your your beef with the Vader early scene in Rogue One, the reason that that worked for me, John, is because I feel like the person delivering that line is Anakin and not Vader in that moment. And that's why it works for me. It's like a funny okay. little, it's a funny little joke that Anakin would say, not Darth Vader, that don't, don't choke on your aspirations. That's not Darth Vader. That's Anakin for me. So for that reason, I like that. There's kind of, to me, still showing that he's in there a little bit. He's not fully gone yet. And, and he never is fully gone. I accept your reasoning, 
but I still disagree that it needed to be in the movie. I mean, I'm fine with it having happened in the story, but I didn't need to see it. I, I, I think seeing Vader just do that one scene of killing everybody would have made it more impactful. But I understand your reasoning. I agree, absolutely, that if you just have that final scene, it's more impactful. Yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Dean, what's your rankings? Okay, so you talked about having so many people on that rankings that we've heard and no one having the same ranking. I don't even have even close to the same ranking as I had when I came into this six months ago. So yeah. or however many <laughs> months ago, eight months ago, nine months ago. So like it's just it changes with me, uh changes with me over time too. Uh so here we go. From the bottom, Attack of the Clones, then the Phantom Menace, then Revenge of the Sith. Tim convinced me on that episode into putting Revenge of the Sith above <laughs> Phantom Menace. He had some great points. Uh, then above that, I go solo, and then here is where I had the trouble today, Aha. and I ended up making the switch that my original list does not look like, but this list now looks like. A five out of five perfect movie in my four slot right now, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That is my fourth right now. Five out of five. I love it. Perfect movie. But that's where it lands because these next three have magic to them. They have something to them that is that extra little thing that pushes them above, puts them as six out of five, whatever you want to call it. They got that little piece that puts them above. So then I go Return of the Jedi, then A New Hope, then the Empire Strikes Back. Love it. Great list. I love that the I love that the original trilogy is all at the top there for you. They they all started to climb. I had Rogue One originally up there. Yeah, up I know you past uh, New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But going back to these things, revisiting them, they have that magic. I don't know if it's just the nostalgia factor or what it is, but it doesn't matter. That's where they sit for me. They're all all three of them are going to be above Rogue One. Nostalgia Great. is a hell of a drug. Hell yeah, <laughs> hell of a drug, and I love it. Hell yeah. Okay, so my rankings. I just want to um, say before I do my rankings that I hate, I absolutely hate how low Return of the Jedi is on my list mm. because we just had a great discussion about it. I love this movie so much, but it just shows how much some of these other movies mean to me. Yeah. With that being said, in eighth place, I have Solo. Um, I give it shit, but it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. These are all great movies. In seventh place, I have The Phantom Menace. Sixth, I have Attack of the Clones. Fifth place, I have Return of the Jedi. Then I have A New Hope. Then I have Revenge of the Sith. Second place is Rogue One. And first place is The Empire Strikes Back. Cool. So, John, thank you so much for joining. Uh, please take a moment to let everybody know about your podcasts and where they can find you. Well, first off, uh, thank you guys so much for putting up with my ranting. Oh, it's all <laughs> I feel good, like we got, I got us off on a lot of topics, odd topics there. It turns um, out on podcasts, that's kind of what you do sometimes is you just rant. <laughs> so it's that all is good. absolutely it's all good true. Um, uh, if you like the sound of my voice and want to hear it some more, um, you can check out the Blast from Our Past podcast. That's the one where I do uh, with our, my brother Adam. I almost said our brother Adam. Um, <laughs> my, he's our brother. He's our brother. Yeah. He's our brother. At this point, yeah, we're all brothers. Uh, <laughs> and we, uh, much like Tim and Dean, just kind of talk about the media 
of our childhood, mostly focusing on the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, our format's a little bit different. Um, so, you know, after you guys listen to maybe an episode that Tim and Dean did on a subject, chances are we might have done it on the Blast Farm Pass. Come check it out and hear our take on it. Um, we do TV, movies, uh, and recastings as a format. Uh, top tens is a format and album reviews. I think we're the only podcast that does album reviews uh, on our network. Um, Throwback trivia is a fun little thirty to forty minute uh, trivia game. Uh, it's all nostalgia based. You'll love that. And then the, my newest one, Comics Underground. Um, honestly, it just came from uh, me wanting a, a place to talk about comics. And I just, uh, you know, what? I guess I'm just gonna start a podcast about it. Um, you can find any one of those if you go to bfopnetwork.com. Yep, check all those uh, podcasts out. Um, I, sure. I listened to all of them. I know Dean does as well. De- Dean yeah. and I have also been guests on all of those podcasts. Mm-hmm. So go if you want to hear us on those, you can check that out. We're there. Um, if you want more from Talking Back, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash talkingbackpodcast. And please listen to all of the other podcasts in the Blast From Our Past Network. We promise you, you'll find something you like. You can find everything you need at bfopnetwork.com. John, once again, thank you, my friend. Thank you, guys. Dean, thank you for joining. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. everybody i'm Corey, and i'm zach and we're the hosts of podcasting after dark a cast dedicated to late night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s often found on hbo and cinemax you know the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid you can find us every other week on apple podcasts spotify podbean and stitcher this is what you want this is what you get Thanks for listening to the episode, everybody. We wanted to let you know if you'd like to show your support for Talking Back, then please check out our Patreon page where you can join one of our membership tiers and unlock bonus episodes and more each and every month. Or you can check out our page at buymeacoffee.com slash talking back where you can make a one-time donation of any amount or feel free to leave a positive review for us on iTunes. All three options are great ways to show your support for the show. That's it. We're done.